the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Christmas. Merry Christmas. Be taking a look at the birth of Jesus Christ today, one of the two most important events in our history. The birth and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's the only begotten Son of God. No wonder the world rejoices. Heaven and nature sings. Jesus Christ, we was perhaps not born on this day, but we celebrate his birth on this day. But there are some other things that have happened in history. So many of you tell me throughout the year that you really enjoy this little thing we do every morning about what happened in history on this day. And so we try to do it every day. I'll do it today. There's a number of things that happen on this day throughout history. Mikhail Gorbachev, he went on television uh, today to announce his resignation as the eighth and final leader of a communist superpower. It was one that had already been dismantled, really, by comments made by Ronald Reagan and Ronald Reagan's policies. Today in A.D. 336, the first known commemoration of Christmas Day on December 25 took place in Rome. The Christians celebrated the birth of their Savior today in 336, first time on this date. Today in 1776, General George Washington and his troops crossed the Delaware River for a surprise attack against the Haitian forces. They were camped out at Trenton, New Jersey. There's certain reports and and historical notes that say they'd been partying, they were drunk, they were pretty unaware of their surroundings. Washington was very sober, he knew that, and he crossed the Delaware made an attack during the American Revolutionary War. It's historic. Today, in 1926, Hirohito became emperor of Japan. He succeeded his father. Today, in 1931, New York's Metropolitan Opera broadcast an entire live opera over the radio for the first time, Hansel and Gretel. Today, in 1989, ousted Romanian President Nicolae Ceausescu and his wife, Alina, were executed following a popular uprising. I was in Romania not long after this. This happened today in 1989. I was there in 90. I think, I think it was toward the end of 1990. And boy, they were, it was, everybody was pretty nervous there. This had just taken place and uh, the country was in great chaos and, and so on. But the church was doing well. And I was there with evangelicals. We were preaching and, and having services, one thing or another. And we helped um, one of the groups build a church there. And boy, it was a it was a trying time. But if anybody deserved it, this guy did. He he destroyed that country. I will tell you, uh, literally financially. I mean, he was he was in the process of building. It's there now. It's a, a big marketplace. I think now he was in the process of building a, a home for himself that had a thousand rooms in it. It was his presidential palace, this Nikolai Ceausescu. And there was this like a mile or two mile driveway that goes winding up to it on the hill. Thousand rooms. 
for he and his wife and, I don't know, a couple of kids or something. It was amazing. Anyway, he was executed. Today in 1990, the World Wide Web, the system provide. I know Al Gore says he, he created that. He didn't. The system providing quick access to websites over the Internet was born in Geneva, Switzerland. Computer scientist Tim Berners-Lee and Robert uh, Cahoe, I think that's the way you pronounce that, they created the first hyperlinked web page today in 1990. A number of people died on Christmas Day, well-known people. I, I know I read saw a whole list of them a few minutes ago. I noticed Dean Martin died, the singer, Beverly Hills. He was 78 years old. He died today in 1995. And James Brown was kind of the kind of the godfather of soul. I think normally that's how people refer to him. He died in Atlanta today, in 2006. He was 73 years old. I also noticed that today in 2009, you'll remember this: passengers aboard uh, Northwest Airlines at Flight 253 they foiled an attempt to blow up the plane. It was landing in Detroit. They seized this guy, Umar Farouk. I can't even pronounce his last name. He, he was a Muslim, uh, a Middle Eastern guy. And they seized him. He was trying to set off explosives in his underwear. Remember that? He put him in his shorts, and he was trying to blow himself up, obviously, but blow up the plane. And these guys saw what he was doing on the plane, and, and they took action against him, the passengers. And they subdued him before he could blow everybody up. And he was sentenced to life in prison. As far as I know, he's still in prison. What do you have planned for today? Got to get together with family? I hope you've been to church. I read this somewhere. I don't know who said it, but it's interesting. It gave me a smile. Jim was leaving church after Christmas services when the pastor greeted him and said, Jim, it's time you joined the army of the Lord. We need to see you every Sunday. I'm already in the army of the Lord, pastor. Jim replied, then why do we only see you on Christmas and Easter? Jim looked to the right, he looked to the left, then he leaned over to whisper real carefully in the pastor's ear, he said, I'm in the secret service. No one ever told me that as a pastor, but some of them, I think, thought that was true, and they probably thought they could have told me the same thing had I asked. It was interesting that at Christmas... You think about the Lord, you think about the birth of Christ, you think about family. Somebody said, Christmas is the promise. Easter is the proof. Most of us remember Jim Elliott, the missionary. In fact, he had roots here in the Northwest. He went to seminary in Portland, Oregon. Jim Elliott. In January of 1956, Jim and four other missionaries gave their lives in Ecuador in an effort to reach the Aka Indians. Books have been made. Movies were made. Elizabeth Elliot, Jim Elliot's wife, I met her. She was a guest on our television program a couple of times. She wrote a book. I think it was called Through Gates of Splendor. If I, there is a book. I think that's the one she wrote. Fierce Attack was, these people were known to, to, to attack anyone from the outside. These missionaries knew it. There were four of these guys. They were athletes. They were... Jim Elliott was a good-looking guy. He looked like a movie star. and I mean, they just had so much going for themselves, and they said, God has told us to go there, take the gospel to these people, and many people warned them. They said, you, you, you may not live through this. And they said, well, so be it. We feel God has called us to do this. Well, not long after they set up camp there, 
near this village, they were attacked, sure enough, by the warriors. Refusing to defend their lives with force, the missionaries were all killed. The news flashed around the world, the story of courage, sacrifice, challenged many, in fact, many kids, perhaps thousands, only God knows. Young people were called in their hearts to missions. They felt that God was leading them. Even today, Jim Elliott's words are written in some Bible schools and seminaries, probably not so much in religious universities. But his words live on. Jim Elliott said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. His wife, in a very real sense, picked that truth up, and she spoke about it many times. In a very real sense, Jim Elliott, his missionary friends, were they were living out the spirit of Christmas. They were willing to give up the comforts of home and promising careers to ultimately lay down their lives to take the gospel to those who had never heard and didn't want to hear. They could have fought back. They could have defended themselves, but they chose not to. This is... This is a picture of what Jesus did for us in his coming to earth. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, Paul wrote, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Nothing of lasting significance, importance for God is ever accomplished without sacrifice, whether it's our time, our talent, our treasure, even our lives, we must be willing to give up what is temporary for the sake of what is eternal. When we do, we're following the example and pattern of Christ and walking in his steps. That's what these men did, and their story lives on. Dietrich Bonhoeffer did the same thing. He spoke a lot about Christmas But he said this, and I thought, so true, it's so true, and often we don't think about Christmas in these terms, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, he wrote a number of books, in God is in the Manger, he said this, he said, life in a prison cell may well be compared to Advent. One waits, hopes, and does this, that, and the other things that are really of no consequence. The door is shut and can only be opened from the outside. There's a sense of when Christ came to us through the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit, into a major in a barn somewhere. God opened the door. We could not have opened it. Our sins were there because through one man sin passed upon the whole world. We needed a Savior. We must have a Savior, but we could not open that door. We could not save ourselves. And a little baby born in Bethlehem came to open that door for us. Don't forget that today. Wally Wally was a kid that really liked, he really, really liked Christmas. I mean, most kids do for all you know kinds of reasons. But Wally... Wally, he, he he was kind of awkward. He was shy. He belonged to the church kids club. It was time to ha- hand out rolls in their Christmas play. You know that time of 
we used to do it in church. I, I think we're too slick now, maybe. I don't know. But we used to, the little kids would wear robes and carry these staffs. And then some churches got real cutting edge and they'd bring in a live sheep and then they'd clean up. At, you know. But anyway, you remember those Christmas plays. But what role should the teacher give Wally? She decided that she was going to give Wally the role of the innkeeper. It was an important role, but it required Wally only to shake his head and say one line, Sorry, we've no room. Wally grinned from ear to ear because he wanted a a part in this play, but he knew he probably couldn't get one that had a lot of talking. But he, he knew he would get to say there's no room in the inn. Sorry, we have no room. Couldn't wait for the big night. Kept talking to his parents about it, telling everybody he was in the play, had a talking part, and so on. Well, it arrived soon enough. The play, the play was proceeding according to plan. Mary and Joseph had traveled to Bethlehem, and they came to the door of the inn. Joseph knocked on the door, and it opened to Wally. Please, sir, Joseph said in this church play, do you have a room we could take? Wally shook his head real definitely and he said he replied i'm sorry we've no room now the boy was getting into playing this this part and and he he was feeling it and while the script called for he for joseph and mary to turn away at this point joseph decided to exercise a little dramatic license and he said but sir he said to the innkeeper my wife is about to have her baby and we need somewhere to stay. That wasn't in the in the lines and Wally had never heard those lines before in this play. He said, couldn't you find us a room? Wally suddenly was so into his, into his character in this play, this church play, his face went white. He hadn't planned for somebody to say that to him and just out of his heart, he paused for a moment and then he repeated this line. He said, I'm sorry, we've no room. I told you. But sir, replied Joseph, we've traveled a long way and we're, we've nowhere else to go and my wife is very tired. Surely you can find us somewhere. Wally bowed his head and he was into this. He was the innkeeper and this was Joseph and Mary to him. He said, I'm sorry. He said, we don't have a room. So Joseph and Mary turn and they begin to walk away. And Wally in this, in this role of the innkeeper, he said, wait, wait a minute. He said, you can have my room. May not have been really according to scripture or or the script. But somehow when we get into Christmas, it's more than just gifts and all that kind of thing. It's a whole lot more. You can have my room. That's the spirit of Christmas. Christmas is a time for joy, celebration, a time for giving, receiving. It can also be a time for a truce. I wanted to talk to you just for a moment about this. I mention stories from wars from time to time because wars shape the world, particularly more recent wars, World War One and Two, certainly Vietnam and other. But there, out of these wars have come stories that are so touching that so <clears throat> can magnify the truth. Christmas 1914 was one of those Christmases. World War I was raging. Men were dying from exposure, from bullets. 
Some years later, in 1981, Private Stan Brown told historian Paul Nixon, he said, on Christmas Eve, as far as we were concerned, we were still at war. But in the evening, he said, on Sentry Go, we heard singing from Jerry. Jerry was the enemy. He decided to investigate Jerry, the enemy. He said, we were shocked. He said, we we saw flags with Happy Christmas written in English. From the Jerry's end, (laughs) the other side. After analyzing their enemy and reaching the conclusion that the enemy was, for some reason, safe at the moment, Pete says he and the rest of his trench decided to creep forward and check it out. What's going on here? History records that this day there was a Christmas truce. I'll come back to that in just a moment, but I want to talk about one of my favorite Poets. I like poetry. I've read some of my grandmother's poetry on this program. Not a lot, but some. Some of you would remember that. I just like poetry. I, it doesn't seem to fit my personality or character. I have not written a lot of poems, but I like them because they have a way of communicating, much like music. There's a universality about poems as there is about music. And I've talked about my favorite poem from time to time. I think that uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow would be without question my favorite. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote the um, about the peace, the Prince of Peace. There's two kinds of peace. Things had turned dark for Longfellow, for our nation as well. Civil war had begun. The following year, Longfellow's wife, whom he loved deeply, died of severe burns after her dress caught fire from a candle in Longfellow's study. Longfellow himself had sustained several burns on his hands and face while trying to save his wife. He was badly burned. So badly burned, he was unable to attend her funeral. So badly burned on his face that he never shaved his face again. He let his beard grow. So when you see pictures of him as a poet, he always has a long beard. He never intended to wear a beard, but his face was so scarred from trying to put out the fire that engulfed his wife in her dress and so on. What what she had done, actually, she had clipped, he and she had clipped a little clip from the hair of their daughter, and they were putting it, she was putting it in an envelope to save. I don't know why we used to do that, but we used to do that. I remember when I was a kid, people would do that. They'd take a clip of some their son or daughter's hair and they'd put it in a little envelope and they'd seal it and they'd keep it and say Gary's hair I wish I could have some of that back to be honest with you but they they would do this and she was doing that with their daughter and there was a little candle there and as I said the, a little breeze or something came through the window and it caught on fire and it just engulfed her almost immediately in fire and and he was in the house he had a office in their home there in Cambridge at, near near the university near Harvard University and um, he tried to put out the fire, and that's how he got scarred himself. So he had these sustained severe burns on his hands and face and so on. It was from trying to save his wife's life, which he was not able to do. Well, following his death, Longfellow, he was writing some of the most popular poems in the country. He published them in the most influential and read magazine, The Atlantic and others. That's what made him so famous. But he slipped into this darkness of, of grief and despair. On Christmas Day in 1861, he wrote this in his diary. He said, 
How inexpressibly sad are the holidays. By 1862, the Civil War had escalated. The death toll was mounting. He was very, very much uh, pro, you know, anti-slavery, pro-freedom. He really supported Abraham Lincoln. He was all in on Lincoln as president. In his diary that year, in 1862, he wrote, A Merry Christmas, say the children, but that is no more for me. In 1863, Longfellow's son, who had run away to join the Union Army, his father did not want him to do that, but he was severely wounded, returned home in December. There was no entry in Longfellow's diary for that Christmas day. There was no joy. There was no peace. Longfellow Longfellow wanted to pull out of his despair. He believed in God. He was a Christian. But the despair seemed overpowering. He began to do what he knew to do best. He began to write. And on that day, on that Christmas day, just like today, he began to write. And these words just came from his heart. There was a restoration that was happening at that moment. He wrote, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Longfellow continued to write, and as he came to the sixth stanza, He was feeling it. He paused. The Battle of Gettysburg was not long past. Days looked dark. He pondered, how can I write about peace on earth, goodwill to men in this war-torn country, when brother fights against brother and father against son over the issue of slavery? But he kept writing. He said, and in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then, Then a flame of hope sprung up in his heart of faith and trust and peace. It began to flicker. The eternal perspective of Christmas was reborn in his heart and mind, and he was a Christian. The message of Christ himself, the peace of God that passes all understanding, began to overflow his heart, his pen. He went to his pen. He always went to his pen to write and to express himself. Then he wrote these words. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Back to that war on Christmas Day, the First World War as we know it. Those people fighting against each other declared a peace on Christmas Day. The story says that they got together They realized that they weren't going to kill each other, at least not that day. And they actually began to share some of their food, their rations that they had. They began to understand that there's something bigger than even war and human disagreement. And they began to celebrate Christmas together. They shared food. They even... some. A couple of guys that were there wrote in their little diaries that they carried with them that they even played soccer. And the teams wasn't one against the other. It was intermixed. I mean, there were guys from both sides on each team. They played soccer. They sang songs. They sang important Christian songs, Christmas songs. As I look at Christmas every year, we come into Christmas with a lot of expectations. There are... Indeed, 
expectations that are not met every year, especially among children. They have their dreams about presents and gifts for Christmas and all of that. And there's those that are alone on Christmas. There are those perhaps listening to me now have broken families, estranged families. I understand all that. As a pastor, I've I've heard it all. I've walked with people. I've sat with people. I've counseled with people. I understand that. I have not had that experience. I've married my high school sweetheart. We're still married. We're not high school anymore, but we're still married. But I understand a broken home. I understand broken relationships. I do. But I want you to know that there's something bigger than the wars of life, the conflicts of life, the disappointments, the difficulties. And we're celebrating that today. And that is not a declaration by someone in authority, someone elite, someone with power. It is a fact that God himself, the creator of truth, shared with the human race. God became flesh and dwelt among us. God wanted us to know what he's like. He sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to be born of a virgin. Yes, he was laid in a manger, and yes, he was swaddled in clothing. It's exactly the way the Bible teaches it. Jesus was not a philosopher. Jesus was not a teacher. He was that for sure, but not just that. He was not just a rabbi. He was the Son of God. There's forces in our world today that try to diminish Jesus to just another man with some great ideas that no man can live up to. He was none of that. He was God in the flesh. Today we celebrate that birth, that earthly birth. In a few months we'll celebrate, remember his death and celebrate his resurrection because that was his mission. And whatever's going on in your life today, whether it's a lot of fun or not so much fun or whatever, I just want to take a moment to remind you that God God came to earth as a baby because he loves you and he loves me. And both you and I have miserably sinned because all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But God came to teach us through his son, Jesus Christ, who he is and how much he loves us. That's why John 3.16 has become a banner verse for the Christianity Christian groups around the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's why he came. That's why he decided, he chose, he purposed to reach out to us. Not just to give us a great Christmas holiday, but to give us a great life for now and for eternity. I want to thank you for the opportunity to spend a few moments with you today. I'm going to spend time with my family today. I hope you are as well. We're going to, yeah, we're going to open some presents and we're going to do all that stuff, but we're going to be mindful today as well that God himself became flesh and dwelt among us today. That's what we're celebrating. And I know you will be as well. Thank you for standing with us in this ministry. Thanks for being a friend of this ministry. And thank you for spending a few minutes with me on this Christmas morning. God bless you. He has, he will. If you're going through difficulties, God will be with you. He'll see you through. 
He will never leave you nor forsake you. So just relax and enjoy today. Have a very, very Merry Christmas and a terrific New Year. And I'll see you live on January 2nd.